1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
2: Danny and I have seen The Boss Baby. Oh my God. So we have to talk about that immediately. It's been like um, building up within me. I have to speak to everybody about this film.
0: Yeah, but we needed the days to recover and process from it because it is an assault on the senses. It's,
2: it's absolutely relentless. Yeah, sort of nightmare. <laughs> it's like a waking nightmare to watch it. It's crazy. The thing that I, the thing I wasn't prepared for. So I'd, you know, heard a bit about the movie. I listened to other podcasters talk about it. And, uh, it, you know, I heard a lot about how weird it was and how many baby asses are in it. There's a lot of CGI baby bums, um, and some CGI baby farting as well. Some comedy There's farting. A little baby
0: Bukkake scene as well. There's a what sort of like- baby
2: Bukkake <laughs> sequence. That's <like> quite striking. <laughs> But I wasn't quite... I didn't realize, like, how much kind of insane levels of visual invention were going to be in it. Like, every scene is this fantastical journey with, like, bizarre kind of, yeah, like, weird visual things. Yeah. Like, well, right the... like right from the beginning, it's like, you know, get ready to be exhausted because <laughs> this is, film will not stop.
0: Yeah, well, the central conceit is that the protagonist has got such an overactive imagination that the most mundane daily tasks are this fantastical adventure for him. Yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of like... The whole idea of the baby wearing a suit and working for, like, a corporation is in his head. But that starts to break down about 20 minutes into the film, and it goes in some... Yeah, it's very unclear, places. like, what...
2: what If that's... If the whole thing is if fantasy, then it's really unclear what the reality could yeah, be. Exactly, yeah, exactly, towards the end. Also, yeah. what kind of kid is coming up, like... I mean, the... Because uh, I was listening to them talk about this on Chapo Trap House, and the uh, Matt Christman, who'd seen it, was saying that it's, like, like capitalist propaganda, basically, and it's, I mean, I think there is a lot to that because what? why would this child envision this? Why <laughs> would he imagine this particular situation if, it, if it's like some sort of displaced, like, jealousy or whatever or playing out of his jealousy for having a younger brother? But, like, why would he have this unbelievably intricate, you know, weird uh, corporate view of where babies come from?
0: Yeah, particularly since his parents are vets, right? They're sort of like,
2: they work for like, Puppy Co. Yeah, but that's real. That's so real. Baby Co. is fake, but Puppy Co. is real. In the movie, do do the puppies? Um, do, are, do they are they not born to dogs? Just like how babies come from a corporation. Storm or something? Yeah, did like the um, puppies also like? Do they come not from clear. a? It's really unclear, isn't it?
0: But it was—I gotta say—I I, kind of enjoyed it. It's a good one to watch with people just for the what the hell is it's got going the, yeah, on? Yeah, it's
2: got the highest what the fuck factor since uh, B movie, right?
0: Yeah, and we can't oversell the amount of Freudian sexual imagery around the baby. There's one sequence where, in order for him to explain his like baby empire, he has to—they have to suck on these dummies. And there's just like these shots of them like sucking this dummy back and forth. And I'm like, what That's happened? Weird. To the guy who made this scene. It's yeah. like you got stuck in the oral oral fixation by one of the animators, and an anal fixation. by There's a by serious another
2: one. anal fixation in it. Yeah, there's so many fucking bums in it. It's unbelievable. Like not only the baby's bums, it's just like shots of bums. Yeah, huge amounts, huge amounts well, of so those. when the
0: baby's dressed up as a dog, and another dog tries to like have his way with the baby? <laughs> it's like what's going on here?
2: Yeah, it's like it's full of moments that not only make you question like the whole logic of the world that it's set in, which happens absolutely constantly, but also. Yeah, these individual little flourishes that you just think there's no way in hell this could have come from a sane mind. You know, this uh, is the, this yeah. is the product of a fractured brain.
0: I hope you know the if that Mind Hunter team from the Netflix show is still operating, I hope they've got the people who made this film on their files yeah, and yeah, they're yeah, monitoring yeah. them because.
2: Yeah, if like James Comey or whoever you know was watching that movie they would immediately be putting several people under surveillance yeah it's it's absolutely critical that the creators of the boss baby be followed and observed at all times the full power of the surveillance state needs to come to bear against them here hear! anyway great great film hope it wins the oscar
0: yep much better than coco
2: much better than coco piece of shit that movie so danny what is this podcast about
0: let me tell you so film chat is a podcast all about sam foster that's you you're a former pro soccer player whose reputation for partying and gambling has caught up with you. We've caught up with him. You know what I mean. Tenses <laughs> are, uh, are negligible. Uh, you are sentenced to a year of probation, which includes working as a handyman in a dilapidated boys' orphanage. The orphanage manager, Danny Moran, wants the boys to do something meaningful, so I persuade you to start a football team known simply as Home Team. That's the name of the team Home Team. They're terrible. But under your tutelage, their skills improve and they start to make progress in the local junior tournament. However, disaster strikes when a fire damages the orphanage to the point that it might have to be torn down and the boys will be separated. Somewhat deflated, the team play what could be their last match together. And despite very good opponents, they win. It's at this point Uh that the orphanage's cook, called Cookie, that's his name, reveals that he placed a bet on the team to win and the winnings will be enough to rebuild the orphanage, is what I would be saying. This is a adaptation of the film Home Team, starring Steve Gutenberg, my favourite actor. This is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a washed-up sack of shit with a heart of gold, Sam Foster.
2: Hello, hello. Uh, on this week's episode, Danny and I are going to be reviewing two um, intense dramas that take a microscope to human relationships. It paints a picture of... People, which is pretty fucked up wouldn't recommend this as a double bill it would be (laughs) highly distressing the first is paul thomas anderson's phantom thread the sumptuous swan song of daniel day lewis who is playing an eccentric dressmaker navigating a volatile romance with a waitress who becomes his muse the most important thing to know about this film is yes it is as quotable as there will be blood and you're going to start yelling a number of strange catchphrases to your friends um who they'll probably find that really hilarious Things like, where's your gun? Show me your gun. You're going to be shouting that at people quite a lot. Where's your gun? Where's your gun? Show me your gun. Where's your gun? Um, So look forward to doing so. Our second review is of Andrei Zvayagintsev's follow-up to Leviathan, another epic tragedy. This one's called Loveless, probably one of the most aptly named films of all time. (laughs) Go in with a lot of joy in your heart in order to survive. Uh, We also discuss all the exciting Super Bowl trailers. Netflix's latest clickbait blockbuster, the Cloverfield Paradox, and the latest Hollywood icon to come under the Me Too spotlights, Quentin Tarantino. All that should leave just enough time for me to launch a hate campaign against the one guy who gave Black Panther a negative review. Uh, it was the *Independence* Ed Power, the Irish <sighs> Independent, that is. Please join me in sending abuse to this man who had the temerity to give Marvel's latest acclaimed blockbuster, only three stars. Uh, I don't know if he is on Twitter or, or where he lives, but I do intend to find out. Um, and please check our uh, Facebook page and Twitter account for his published home address, so that you can um, all take dumps into uh, letters and send those to him. And that'll teach them fucking. I'll do that. Idiot.
0: This is why we can't have nice things, Ed. Yeah. People like you.
2: People like you. What do you want? Another DC blockbuster by oh. the idiots at DC? Disgusting. Everyone must love Black Panther. Five stars and go home. <laughs>
0: Regular correspondent Andy Poole um, wrote in, linking us to this Guardian article, which was uh, giving a lowdown on Quentin Tarantino's Less Than Stellar Week. Uh, This article is now already out of date, possibly out of date five minutes after it was published. And I'm
2: sure that this current uh, conversation will be out of date by the time you hear it.
0: Yeah, most likely. But it was basically chronicling all the news stories that have come up about him. Uh, The first one was Uma Thurman giving this um, kind of tell all piece in the New York Times, yeah, I um, all about uh, how Harvey Weinstein sexually assaulted her and how she had suffered this car crash on the set of Kill Bill 2, where she felt she'd been pressurized into doing this stunt which she'd uh, expressed reservations for, and how that affected her and Tarantino's relationship.
2: Yeah, and then the, she's basically accusing uh, Weinstein and a couple of the producers of a sort of cover up basically. For um, sort of publicity reasons, not there was no kind of accountability around the causes of this crash because yeah. it wasn't publicized. I mean, was it known that this had even happened? Did you
0: know that she'd had a car crash in that? I had no idea until... Yeah,
2: I didn't know either. So I think it might have been... Yeah, I think that was part of, the, part of her complaint as well.
0: Um, So obviously it came under a lot of scrutiny for that. And at the same time, uh, that article also talked about how she'd been choked and spit on that movie as part of a sort of larger point about... Directors mistreating their stars, or if you're
2: you're a director's muse, it means that you're just going to be abused,
0: (laughs) yeah. And uh, that also was kind of coupled with this resurfaced audio of Quentin Tarantino defending Rowan Polanski in 2003 on the Howard Stern show after he'd won the director, uh, best director, um, Oscar at the Academy Awards, uh, and basically just giving the defense which all his defenders have, which is that. It wasn't rape. The it was only statutory was, rape. Yeah, that it was, was sex with a minor, but she was into it.
2: Yeah, even though she was 13.
0: Which Tarantino has uh, since apologized for in a like, massive mea culpa.
2: He's been doing an un- actually unusual amount of media engagement since occasionally when things flare up around him or there's stories about, about him, he doesn't tend to like address them in a huge amount of depth. But the um, the Uma Thurman thing, he gave like a very long, detailed interview to Deadline about Uh, And then he's responded quite rapidly as well to this resurfaced um, Polanski tape. And he's like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, I was ignorant. I I mean, it's a little bit like wishy-washy because he says like, you know, I was foolishly playing devil's advocate or something. that's like, you weren't man. Come on, you're just giving your view on it. But but there was something that you um, sent me that was really striking was this like, public letter that was um was it 2009 something
0: like that yeah plansky they... was under house arrest in 2009 i forget exactly why but for whatever reason jurisdiction or whatever he uh when the ghost was coming out that his brother knew mcgregor film, yeah like the allegations resurfaced and some legality got in where he was under house arrest and it prompted harvey weinstein of all people to uh i don't know have a whip around <laughs> amongst his hollywood friends and like um there was an open letter, yeah, um, to the authorities saying he should be freed.
2: Well, they went. I thought. I thought the story was. I mean, yeah, I haven't looked into this in enough detail, really, but wasn't it something to do with like him not being able to attend a film festival? Yeah, because he might be arrested or something. They were like, he should be allowed to go to the film festival. Uh, you know. Yes. I don't know. I mean, the whole Polanski situation is so bizarre because, um, as uh, as you were saying, was it like Hadley Freeman who was pointing this out? But yeah, it was like was... it's like it's. there's really no um like there's no two sides to the story whatsoever. He's like he's been convicted of a crime and the it was, you know, it, everything about it is completely in the open. There's no um disagreement over the facts of what happened and the victim uh of uh, of Plansky has like spoken at length about it and like including, you know, had public exchanges with the director about it and stuff. And it's a really clear-cut case of like you know, rape of a child basically right yeah. i mean there's no there's really no two ways of looking at it um, and he would be sent to prison if he returned to the u s for for rape, which is a quite a serious crime, so yeah, so the fact that um uh that th- he is in any way still part of the Hollywood establishment is absolutely bizarre, and the list of luminaries on this open letter basically saying that you know he's had a tough time, and we all need to move on um is is crazy it's like. Wes Anderson, Pedro Almodovar, um Scorsese. the da- the Darden brothers, Scorsese, Woody Allen, of course. Um uh, so nobody surprised. In yeah, like Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam, yeah. Like ever, like it's
0: Tilda Swinton, not to name There there's a few women on the list.
2: Yeah, there are women on it, yeah, including Tilda Swinton, T. Swens. Uh,
0: yeah. But like not to drift too far from Tarantino, but it's just I guess the question is like how bad are his crimes? And then like not to like well this is like so a sort it, of matt damon t- slippery tarantino's slow, like, crimes, you mean yeah like um you know is he getting i think you put it well it's like have the norms changed or oh, how do i put this this is this is the problem with this there's so it's kind it's, of hard it's very to, difficult to discuss hard to unpack, isn't it yeah like um like his words are basically and he's not helped by his super sort of like fanboy like manner of just always sounds like he's sweating and he's, a bit.
2: he's got a real angry nerd <laughs> voice that doesn't do him any favors
0: yeah but like there's obviously outrage about what he said but where has the outrage been for the past 30 years and why is it not being directed at all these other people who believe this basically who believe the same the thing the same thing and all he's done is basically said out loud what must be the only defense you can have for polanski yeah
2: there, there is no other defense to mount right so uh,
0: yeah i mean for my two cents it does feel I mean, the car crash thing just sounds like negligent, and uh, just like he did, he was just not doing his job as a director. Uh, but I don't know if it like it feels like a lot of stories coming out at once, and plus, it's coupled with the fact that his latest film, like apparently, has the Manson murders, and Polanski might be in as a character, which is obviously very unfortunate. But I don't know if it like suggests a pattern of behavior, or whether like I'm just like comparing that to like a norm, which is obviously problematic, and yeah. just like it's really it
2: feels maybe less like um people deciding that that things are, are not okay that they used to be seen as okay but it really feels more like bringing making things explicit that you're like of course that's bad you know what i mean yeah yeah like that things are sort of resurfacing and not being kind of brushed aside and that that's really the changing norm rather than it being things that you know when you discuss them you'd be like obviously that's fucking awful uh but somehow people just weren't people were just pushing that to a different part of their brain and now it's moved to the front and like that's the like that's the key um the key important thing that's changing that needs to remain the focus of the discussion uh and it gets it becomes you know a matter of um i guess personal judgment when you are dealing with individuals and being like uh, are they now bad were they always bad like can you not watch their movies anymore do you have to boycott them you know uh do you have to like stop watching their films like don't watch any of their older movies again like not like you know like ostracize them or or whatever i don't know i mean because there's so many different um different things to deal with in this case i mean like you say like the fact that so many hollywood directors are willing to defend roman plansky is obviously like absolutely abhorrent uh and i don't like and if someone was like you know fuck the whole establishment fuck all these people fuck almodovar anderson you know swinton and whoever then it would be hard for me to say like that's wrong to have that reaction but it's also like um you know i I wouldn't say that 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 is also the necessary and only possible possible response and i don't i don't feel like tarantino i don't know i think it's a hard one because i a bit like with Woody Allen and stuff that these are both directors whose careers you know been following closely for a long time and whose movies meant a lot uh to me growing up and to you as well yeah, right? like yeah. you know they're like very sort of like influential people on our like you know youth, and so there is a natural sense that you want to be defensive about them and you sort of yeah. have to try your best to be fair-minded without falling into that kind of thing um but I don't I think the latest stuff about Tarantino basically makes him sound like what he kind of seemed to be before is like a bit of a boorish asshole, you know? Yeah. But I don't know if for it's it's really like morally abhorrent. And I think especially around the Uma Thurman stuff, I mean, obviously, like that was a major event and he felt guilty about it and they patched up their relationship since then and she was very explicit after she got that interview to the New York Times about the fact that they're friends again, you know, and he gave her the, the, the footage of the car crash. Yeah um the that the was the the foundation of the whole story in the first place um and also uh with regards to the spitting and the choking thing that really seemed like a nothing part of the story since it was it was it was just like part of the script and you know they discussed it and that's and it made it sound like he was just spitting in her face because he's like for the fun of it or whatever but you know
0: it sounded a bit like you know he just didn't want to delegate that to somebody yeah yeah But um, like well there yeah, was a he's he, kind of like put in this context of like he was a sadist but i don't
2: i don't know i don't know if i buy yeah, it I don't necessarily it's like but i mean the, he, he he used this example of um uh diane kruger in inglorious bastards and there's a there's a scene in that where she gets choked um and how he did that himself as well but he'd like discussed it with her and then uh and then after the uh, after this interview i think dan kruger did like a uh, like an instagram post or something that was yeah. like it was a pleasure working with tarantino and you know he was always like treated me well and it was all great or whatever so i don't know i mean i'm not i don't think i'm gonna personally um fling tarantino onto the into the trash bin over this latest thing but whatever i mean it, it seems like the absolute least important thing is like what individuals like me and you like what our judgments are <laughs> of who's who's good and who's bad seems like com- you know that's like the most minor trivial thing and the it's, like, the the broader, you know, making sure that the broader changes in conversation, like, continue and aren't too sidetracked in these kinds of just, like, um, labelling people as, you know, you've, you're bad now, you're good, you're still good. Yeah. Whatever.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it feels a bit like the, you know, the real part of the story was that, like, Harvey Weinstein... Like sexually assaulted Uma Furman. that feels like the worst crime in the whole piece. Well, it's and definitely
2: the-, the worst crime. Yeah, but I guess because it's people, <laughs> I think piece, that's like, the it's worst like crime. it's like it's like old news now or something like that. So people now concentrate on Tarantino.
0: But yeah, it'd be fascinating to see where it goes because uh, we haven't discussed in a while. But like since then, like Woody Allen's had a lot of um, like people disowning him and like regretful about being in his films. Yeah, which and is but of- that's
2: new, isn't it? Like like all these people turning around and saying, "I, I wish I'd never been in his movies."
0: But yeah, we were we were covering like this new Tarantino movie and about how it was such a bidding war between the studios and you know DiCaprio signed onto it and like all these major huge stars and it's gonna you know in theory it would be like a massive release next year yeah and now it's kind of you know is the climate changed enough that it won't happen I when, don't in some yeah case, I'm
2: sure I don't think I don't think it's but I think for he'll that. probably
0: write it out because he ha- he himself hasn't sexually assault anybody as far as we know yeah as far we gotta add that proscript to every man we talk about of course absolutely (laughs) yeah
2: nothing's come out yet
0: i don't know like his behavior is just normal like used it would be six months ago it wouldn't be a story yeah i guess that's the interesting thing
2: yeah exactly yeah i mean that 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 feels like that just that does feel true um and it's it's basically a good thing if these things you know if these things keep going on and there's like an element of i guess media feeding frenzy around it but it seems to me to be not really that bad i mean even um tarantino when he was talking about the maureen Dowd interview with uh uma thurman he was he was saying that like he didn't even think the piece was that you know he didn't think it was like a bad piece or anything like and it i think that it's a um i think it's actually being handled pretty well to be honest i mean the 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 final thing i would i would say about this is the um Uh, i was listening to a discussion on another podcast it's still processing podcast which you talk about sometimes they were talking about the aziz ansari story which for anyone who's not familiar with you you probably are you're plugged in on you you're following stuff but in any case he uh there was a controversy around him someone gave an anonymous account of going on a really bad date with him where he where he like um acted in this uh overtly sort of sexually pressurizing manner and like uh, they ended up sort of doing like sex stuff that the woman did not feel comfortable with and then um and then she left you know really upset about it and then and then wrote this or like gave this account to uh, a website called babe.com um and it was in this kind of gray area of like it wasn't exactly like rape or anything but it was sort of in a in a in an area somewhere between harassment assault and just bad behavior or, or like you know yeah. ill manners and so there was this conversation that erupted up over that as to like um did he actually do anything that was that bad uh is it appropriate to categorize that story um, alongside other like explicit accounts of assault like the Weinstein stuff and you know was it treated in a salacious kind of manner because there was loads of details in a piece that felt a bit extraneous and um and what they were talking about still processing around this is basically that it's like uh inevitably when you have this like Large moment that goes on, and it's loads and loads of things are being swept up in, in this like ongoing debate. It's going to be messy, and there's going to is gonna be confusions over individual instances, and there will be like disagreements over what constitutes you know what. Um, but that this shouldn't derail the central thing that's going on, yeah. People shouldn't get just like caught up in like, uh, you know, oh, actually, Me Too has now become shit because uh, poor Aziz Ansari is being tarnished by. Uh, this story about him when all he did was like you know not pick up on her signals or or, or whatever like that's not like it's not important or yeah. like the journalistic standards of babe.com if they they didn't write it in the correct way it's like obviously you know it's legitimate to criticize them but it doesn't really affect the the whole thrust of this conversation you know which is which has to be like nuanced and you know yeah complex story. i mean
0: yeah i think i'm i'm gonna say this point again i might have already said it but it's like to clarify to clarify myself like particularly with the polanski thing obviously like those comments like tarantino made like are terrible but i feel like they've been discussed in isolation when they should be discussed you know like that hadley freeman piece was really good but the way it's been reported on not like tarantino shouldn't be like thoroughly ashamed of himself he obviously should yeah but it's been like kind of reporters of like he's just like one weird guy yeah like that
2: it's the whole culture Uh, yeah
0: like and like it should be discussed as part of like a much bigger like the biggest context there is yeah yeah, the entirety of like human history (laughs) (laughs) no um,
2: absolutely like all these things should be put in like the broader cultural context of like you know which is like we, we live in this like utterly fucked up culture and so yeah yeah you know
0: Sorry, I, I felt like I was very close to being like a sort of Matt Damon, like not all men. We, there's got to be a sliding scale of outrage, and like I think 20 like twenty percent of my like outrage. No, 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 yeah, like,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think we should be clear that like, you know, nobody should be too precious about people getting burned over this. Yeah, yeah. and I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's good. I mean, I think basically the presumption should be that the more careers get destroyed by this, the better. I don't know if that's a sort of flippant remark, but yeah. I feel like if if people if everybody like gets caught up in this kind of firestorm and it does end a bunch of people's careers i think that's like a, basically you know on balance that's much better than if that doesn't happen you know but then like things don't change yeah and if if it, if it if there's a sort of trail of destruction in in the wake of this then like it would have had like some kind of an impact you know
0: Absolutely,
2: it creates precedence for the future that can only be good.
0: It's impacted me because you got me that hateful eight poster for my my birthday, (laughs) and it says, "The Weinstein Company present the eight film by Quentin Tarantino," and the poster is like. Uh, all these Jason men Lee. looming over Jennifer Jason <laughs> All her Lee. knees were like These seven other guys' faces sort of Loom over her yeah, she's and I'm like, gonna have to take that poster down, Sam
2: She's like front and centre Covered in blood with a bruised <laughs> eye And there's like these giant men looming over her And they all look fucking awesome Yeah, uh,
0: that, that poster hasn't dated well
2: <laughs> That poster is not the best it's way okay, to okay, I
0: got it. my Annie All Hope poster Oh no, jeez <laughs> oh, My art I like is problematic Yeah I got a Debbie Harry poster. I Put that up.
2: You've got that Manhattan poster, don't you? With oh, the two yeah. of them in bed together talking about sex.
0: Yeah, that's okay. I've got my with Chinatown just bits poster. of
2: dialogue with, with his character talking about how like she loves to do freaky shit or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I get them. You know, I got other movie posters. Got my last Tango in Paris poster. Oh, no,
1: no, no! no. Oh,
0: God.
2: Yeah, you're flipping through your collection of posters like this sort of poster <laughs> section in HMV, but like every one is a depiction of uh, sexual assault that you yeah. didn't that you didn't realise.
0: Yeesh, I'm the real victim.
2: Rape culture doesn't exist, and let me just go and check my collection of posters.
0: Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So to conclude, I'm gonna need you to get me a different poster. That that birthday gift is no good anymore.
2: <laughs> All right, man. Don't worry, I'll I'll get you can the uh, the least movie. the least uh, problematic I poster. poster I can find. I'll just get you a poster of a picture of a ladybird. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. This you can't possibly object to it, you know. It's just a little insect. What's what's wrong with that? In- inoffensive in means didn't do anything it's fine superhero films announced casting rumors leaking out em not film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Merylre Oscars tips Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay made a mint that's
0: the news that's been to onto more serious matters the Super Bowl <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great, wasn't it? I can't believe the Eagles I've actually, won. I actually I don't or... even know
2: who which teams were playing the or Eagles what the and result the, and was.
0: The the Patriots. I don't know who won. I'm pretty sure it was
2: I, I it really surprises me how many people in Britain watched the Super Bowl you know i'm aware everyone's aware that it's this huge culture thing in the u.s but like the the, the game of american football has got a very bizarre set of rules it's
0: very stop it's, got, it's very
2: stop start and it's just like an odd game yeah it's like the amount of the ball is only in play for a few seconds at a time and it's all these like gigantic men wearing huge armor just sort of crashing into each other and then like falling over and then it stops again it's like i don't know it's yeah. weird
0: also you know it's statistically proven to cause so much brain damage yeah, It's like a terrible...
2: The like, armor is not big enough.
0: Yeah. It's a deliberate, you know...
2: Well, they're all these, like, steroidal, like, giants, aren't they? They're all sort of seven foot tall and, like, the same width. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's a weird one. But anyway, so the main anyway, thing is the entertainment around it, the adverts, exactly. the adverts.
0: Did you watch the trailers? Yeah,
2: yeah. I watched the trailers. I thought there was a clear tra- uh, winner in the trailer war, and that was the trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout, the sixth Mission Impossible film.
0: It does look good.
2: It looks good. I mean, it seems to be... Like, one of the most direct sequels. Possibly the most direct sequel of any Mission Impossible film. It's got a lot of the same cast from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which was pretty good. It's
0: got Sean Harris back. Sean Harris. Your mission. Should you choose 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 to to accept accept it.
3: Your mission. Should you choose to accept it. I wonder... Did you ever choose not to? Have you ever turned one
0: down? (laughs) You ever thought about the phrasing of that? (laughs) Maybe say no once in a while. What do you think?
2: Um,
0: Yeah, I did like how the end of the trailer was just like a series of stunts, but ones where like Tom Cruise was like just being having the shit kicked out of him. Like just like falling into buildings, crashing cars.
2: Well, it had the shot which he actually broke his foot shooting, right? Like they put it in the movie when he He, like jumps from one building onto another (laughs) and he like breaks his foot in the process. And that was in the trailer. I like the I mean, it's a sort of like joke now with Tom Cruise about the running and the hanging from things. But yeah. there's full on, you know, I mean, I feel like hanging from a helicopter seems to me to be less spectacular than hanging from a plane, which you did in the previous movie. But what are you going to do? There's only You're so many do. things you can hang from. Exactly. This is hanging from a rocket that's going into space.
0: Yeah. He's kind of like the closest thing we have to Jackie Chan. He's, you know, in a sort of like diehard efforts entertain you he'll like risk his life no you know a hundred times in a movie yeah but he's he's
2: like he's like an action buster keaton basically isn't he yeah except without the grace he just like will fucking do it He's, he's not like an acrobat or something he'll just do it He'll just do it. And like he pilots his own stunt helicopter in the movie or something like that, apparently. Like of course that. he does. It's because he can't be killed because of his religious beliefs. <laughs> yeah. Make him invulnerable, <laughs> so he's willing to do anything. You know, we
0: all laughed at Scientology, but I think he might be onto something.
2: Well, he'll be like, of course I'll sign this legal waiver because I won't be hurt and I can't be killed. <laughs>
0: do you know what my feet encounter is right now? Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get your money's worth for those movies, you know. Oh
2: yeah, hundred percent. You sign up for a certain number of explosions and Tom Cruise hanging off shit and running and getting his And th- Simon you know.
0: Pegg reacting to that, and saying, oh, God, he's done this again. Oh, he's done another stunt. <laughs> oh, what? what? I
2: could never do that. I can't do that. I just, <laughs> I just tap away at the computer. Look at him. This Look is at... mental, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's my Simon he's the Pegg, best what's character?
2: he, do- what's he doing out there in Hollywood? Just get, know, out there, get out of there, Peg. Get out of there. Get out of there. Return. Return here. Go back to make another sketch show or something.
0: Absolutely. Did you see the Han Solo trailer?
2: I did see the Han Solo trailer. I, th- I my guess is stinker. What do you think?
0: Oh, stinker, you reckon? I think
2: so, yeah. I- Alden Ehrenreich looks fucking weird. Doesn't look at all like Harrison Ford. Yeah. And it, it really good, felt it's good like...
0: like, four inches shorter than Harrison Ford.
2: Well, it felt to me like they were deliberately trying to hide him in the trailer. Like, there's not many, many shots of him. He doesn't say that many lines. And it just feels like they're trying to downplay Han Solo in the Han Solo <laughs> film, and that seems like an odd marketing strategy. Well,
0: the Twitter went nuts for um, uh, Donald Glover as Lando, Lando Krissing, yeah. because he's just like the internet's boyfriends. Yeah, and I set the poll: What would you rather see? Lando prequel, Solo prequel? Lando won seventy percent of the vote. Seventy
2: of seventy percent of the ten votes.
0: Yeah, seven votes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and maybe in like you know. Hindsight's 2020, but it's like maybe they should have just done a Lando Carizian sequel because there's like there's much more of a blank space to his past. Than, I think you know. Lando
2: is a cooler name than yeah, than than Solo, Solo.
0: even though they sound kind of similar.
2: Also, like, I mean, it feels like this stuff has all been trodden by the existing movies they made. Like, we've seen every Star Wars film that's come out has had the Millennium Falcon in it, basically, except for Rogue One. Uh, but there's been so much Millennium Falcon that there's not really going to be that much like fanboy joy. To, yeah. be, to be uh, gleaned from a sequence where he, you know, pilots it.
0: He's going to do the Kessler run, isn't he, in 12 parsecs? It's going to be awesome.
2: Can't wait to see what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what that actually entails doing.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. Um, but the biggest story of the Super Bowl trailers is, was the trailer for Cloverfield. The Cloverfield Paradox, Cloverfield Paradox, which was available immediately afterwards. It's groundbreaking. It
2: basically said, check your inboxes, you've got fucking film in there.
0: Yeah, listen to that YouTube album you didn't ask for, and then watch The Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All content is free. And uh, so I I kind of woke up to the news, because I didn't watch those all live, and already the hot takes were out, and it was that The Cloverfield Paradox fucking sucked. I watched the first 10 minutes, or maybe 15 minutes. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. Really, really bad. Uh, but it's kind of amazing. I think in a way, it's the kind of logical endpoint of J.J. J. Abrams, like, mystery box storytelling, where it's like, there's the whole principle of like, you have a mystery box and whatever you imagine is inside the box. Will be superior to what is actually inside it, which is a very flawed way of storytelling. I but think. But isn't it,
2: was... it like surely the ultimate, the ultimate then version of that would be for him to only release the mystery box and for there to be no film at all? Yeah, it sure, would be. You're right. It, it, there's still places to go, and the, 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 what he should do is you know, like, you know, what just like one of those things where you know it's just a date and some kind of like choppy footage of nothing you can make <laughs> out, you know, and then that should be it. The, the date comes and then nothing happens. Yeah. And that you know, that it was the fun of the anticipation. That's all you get out of it. Whereas this movie, there is no mystery box since they, it was both announced and released in the, in the space of, you know, an hour or something.
0: So like, but it is like a sort of, I think it's, there's a similarity in that it's just like it was designed just to create buzz. Because basically, they, they knew they had this fucking, you know, dud on their hands. Yeah. And for some reason, they managed to, Paramount managed to give it to Netflix for $50 million. That's what they bought it for. So the movie was instantly in profit. And then they spend God knows how much money in the Super Bowl ads. And it almost like it cut out the critical response. So enough people watched it on the Sunday night before the hot takes came in. Yeah. Whereas if it had been released in cinemas, it would have just like
2: fallen on his ass. Well, it's quite ballsy to turn the technique that they normally use to avoid like uh, backlash to a movie that is fucking awful, which is not to do any press screenings. Yeah. And they turned that into some kind of like uh, viral moment yeah you know it's like the the ultimate it's like being buried and also sort of flaunted at the same time yeah yeah. very strange it's like check out how little we care about this (laughs) film we didn't promote it at all watch it it's like i don't know i mean i guess it would be different if the movie was a masterpiece or something like that and everyone would be hailing this like genius you know twist but instead it just feels like a, a shit film that they didn't want to tell anybody about and but somehow tried to make that the story about it i don't know
0: but it's just like it just feels like a con you know the newest shit like how can we get people to see it
2: yeah well that's the the, that's the other like element to this is that it's um it's very much a a beast of modern filmmaking and that it's this like everything is a franchise now everything's an interconnected universe and what the cloverfield franchise if you can even call it that seems to be doing is like uh, remarketing existing movies as like just putting Cloverfield in the title and doing yeah. some vague kind of tie-in. So like Ten Cloverfield Lane was clearly written as a script not remotely connected to Cloverfield, and then they just put Cloverfield in the title, and uh, you know there's some sort of vague sense that it might relate to the, that previous movie. Remember Cloverfield from 2008 <laughs> or something? Yeah. And uh, and then they did they did the same with this one where it's a script called The God Particle and it didn't have anything to do with Cloverfield, and then they sort of like slapped slapped it on. They rebranded it just to make it a sequel it's like the desperation for things to be sequels now is such that original films are just marketed as sequels to some other film for no reason <laughs> that's, that's such a weird thing to do
0: <laughs> it is ext-
2: extremely weird especially with something like cloverfield which is not it's just like very obviously a standalone film that does not beg for a wider universe whatsoever
0: oh why well, wouldn't say that you <laughs> say that
2: wow come on know.
0: What happened to the monster at the end? I don't... I mean, but it's like... I don't
2: get it because it's such a... The, the, Cloverfield is such a... It's so driven by the... The gimmick um, of it. The gimmick of it. Yeah, it's not about the wider world in which the film is set, you know? if it's got, If it's got Cloverfield in the title, it should be about a giant monster wrecking some stuff. Otherwise, why are you watching the movie you know it doesn't make any sense it'd be like them doing the pacific rim sequel but it's just like two guys in a room and it's the Plus you the know new duplass brothers film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exa- exactly yeah it's like that don't people feel like they got cheated if they go to see a film they think is a sequel to cloverfield and it doesn't feature a giant monster Rex shit why are you watching it
0: yeah no i agree completely very strange very strange but you can see it for free on Netflix.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe we'll watch it. Maybe we'll watch it. I'll watch the next 15 minutes. You just tell me where you left off yeah, and I'll pick up from then, there. And
0: then I'll then tag team and me in.
2: We'll, yeah, we'll tag in and out.
0: And then that way none of us have to watch all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but together. We'll, we'll piece
2: together what the fuck happened. Yeah, the
0: hive mind will be, you know, seeing the whole thing. Yeah. A little break now in the show.
2: Because Danny has to blow his nose. Sam is trying on different clothes And Katie's cooking sausage rolls I think they're almost done
0: And now they're definitely done, 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 done So, done, Fandom Fred, done. this is the latest film from Paul Thomas Anderson, that genius auteur. He only makes great films, and I'll That's it. That's kill anybody thing. who disagrees with me. That's uh, so how much I love him, and uh, he's reteamed with Downey Lewis. They had great success with *There'll Be Blood*, and the plot of the movie is that Downey Lewis plays Reynolds Woodcock of the House Woodcock. They are—it's like a so he's a couturier, dressmaker, and uh, he runs this you know boutique fashion place with his sister Cyril, played by Leslie Manville. And at the beginning of the movie, he sort of jilts his previous girlfriends, and. Uh, but he doesn't really, he's like Romeo and Romeo and Juliet gets over it quite quickly yeah. and instantly falls in love with a waitress, Alma, played by Vicky Kreps and the movie is like a relationship drama where he's a very fastidious odd guy who's got some serious mummy issues and uh, Vicky Krebs is like, kind of refuses to be just another notch on his bed and like, it's a kind of battle of wills and relationship as a sort of uh, Battle of the Sexes isn't Battle it? of the Sexes, but it's also like a sort of gothic romance comedy.
2: yeah, sort of a ghost story in ghost a way story in a way yeah. It's a
0: lot of interesting things at the same time. uh here is a clip of Cyril and Reynolds having a little argument over breakfast, one of the many breakfast scenes. Would you like me to
3: ask Alma to leave? No, why?
0: Well, if you're
3: going to make her a ghost, go ahead and do it. But please, don't let her sit around waiting for you. I'm very fond of her. Oh, well, you're very fond of her, are you? <coughs> well, in that case. No, don't turn it on me. I don't want your cloud on oh, my
1: shut head. Shut up, know, You can
3: shut right up. Don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'll go right through you, and it'll be you who ends up on the floor. Understood?
2: There's a lot of food in it, isn't there? Yeah. They do a lot of eating. It's a lot of, like, fun food moments.
0: Anyway, we both saw this. We mm.
2: saw this in 70mm, so very, very small. Could barely see it.
0: <laughs> had to huddle around.
2: It, it had to huddle around it. It was, like, matchbox size, and we were watching on that, so it was a bit difficult to tell what was going on. Uh, but I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was very good.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I like, and the more I think about it, the more I like it in a way. It's yeah, it's very, definitely
2: growing, growing for me as well over time.
0: Yeah, it's, there's like a lot going on, and it's a, it's like a rich meal, you know. Like afterwards, it kind of takes a while for you to process it. But it is like very uh, delightfully odd. I think. Yeah. And like you're never quite sure where it's going, and it, it, like. The humor of it is really winning, and I think maybe it's uh, when you're first watching, you you're kind of unsure how funny you should be finding it, but I think it is like an out-and-out comedy at points.
2: Yeah, yeah, it definitely skirts around that. It's like I think there's a lot of humor derived from uh, Daniel Lewis's character, who is uh, been drawn, you know, very some some might say broadly as a kind of little kid. Like he's so obsessed with his work, and because he has these like mummy issues, it's kind of like he never grew up. And he depends on, like, uh, people around him to kind of look after him and stuff. Um, well, and he has, like, yeah. little tantrums, and they're all, you know... It's like his talent excuses his behaviour. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And his sister has just, like, allowed him to maintain his, you know, tantrums because, you know, he makes dresses. Yeah, so. but his,
2: like, his childishness is quite hilarious in certain points.
0: Yeah, and it's, um... It's obviously an American, like... Uh, American filmmaker it's sort of indulging in making a British period film, like... You can't have uh, people having arguments about asparagus and any other types of movies. And it's very deliberately mannered. And that's also like very humorous. But it's never like a pastiche. I don't think like it's always on the right side of, you know, uh, it's always enough like credibility to what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think the reason why it's so uh, such a rich experience, as I was saying, was uh, is that it doesn't give you the full picture at any point in the movie. And it kind of just gives you these kind of little bits of details, which you can piece together. And there's a, uh, I remember that I read this book about Billy Wilder once and they had like these green writing maxims. And one of them was, um, let the audience put two and two together and they'll love you forever. And it's a bit like so much of the movie is happening in your head because, like, there's a whole thing about his mother, but she's only mentioned, like, a three times in the film. Like, probably in terms of, you know, it's a two-hour movie. Yeah, you yeah. probably yeah. spends about two minutes of screen time discussing her. Yeah. she casts a long shadow. And similarly, like, Alma, you don't really know about her background, but there's, like, a few interactions with other characters which suggest all this stuff. And, like, everything's hinting at this much, like, wider world. And if you start sort of connecting the dots, it all kind of, like, starts unpacking for you, which is why I feel like it's a movie that will stand the test of time and like repeat um Yeah reward repeat views.
2: I think like in some ways it's a more straightforward film than his his last two. Uh The Master and Inherent Vice are both um sort of quite sort of long meandering films that um by the end it was never that it's not sort of completely clear uh what was going on and they're slightly sort of baffling (laughs) sort of journeys. Whereas Phantom Thread is uh Ties things up in a bow in quite a in quite a neat way. Um, I, I do think it's slightly more like broadly written than some of his other stuff. Like some of the writing is quite on the nose, and the character of Cyril is like, you know, I mean, is is fantastically performed by Leslie Manville and has a lot of the movie's best lines, but is also like quite a broadly drawn character who really does the same thing over and over again um and i think that part of that um makes the it just makes it a bit easier to watch than some of his his other his his other stuff and it's a very sort of entertaining film like surprise yeah. surprisingly so um in some ways um i think my my main like misgiving as i was watching the movie is that i felt like the particular relationship dynamic that it's studying is a little hackneyed the the genius artist who's you know in love with his work and like uh, excludes women from his life or like brushes them aside and then like the, the woman whose job is then to try to force him to pay attention to her you know like his he loves his work she loves him her work is him you know yeah I feel like that's been done many many times and uh and I don't know if the movie really says anything particularly new on uh, like on that terrain uh, but it's extremely like sumptuously executed, and with yeah a lot of sort of verve and wit and great performances. And so I think I think it is I think it is really good. But I I mean that that problem is sort of like faded after like having reflected on the film a lot because there were so many things that I found enjoyable about it. But I, at the beginning I was a bit like oh you know another story about a guy who's <laughs> like. You know, it's the great artist who's a bit weird because he's so good at what he does. And I was like, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. But he is like a bit of a subject of ridicule in the movie. It is like the woman, it's the women's film in a way. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. And well, he is a like, very
2: silly. I mean, he's a sort of very silly guy. And
0: they all like hold their like the, the great Daniel Day Lewis, like, you know, they're as good, if not better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, yeah. And, like, all the performances you know, are brilliant in it. And uh, yeah, it's quite a fun one for him to go out on in a way if he is. I'm always a bit suspicious if anyone announces their retirement. Yeah, like, Ste- like
2: Steven Soderbergh, retired from movies, and now he's making one every five seconds.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's a very, uh, I don't know, I feel like Daniel Lewis is known for like his sort of towering performances, where he's like this sort of alpha male, and it's sort of a bit like this, but like, he's just so like, he's such a kid, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know, there's a lot of humor in it. And uh, the Johnny Greenwood score is typically amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was
2: about to mention, I think th- it's one of my favorite things about the movie, actually, the score.
0: And I think yeah, it, it like lends it this like weird, dreamy tone. And it, as you're saying, even though like the sort of dynamic is quite familiar, for like the last hour of the movie, I didn't really know where it was going. Like individual scenes were just like there's, just, there's just such a strain of oddness to his filmmaking, which is mm. what makes him so compelling in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's, like on yeah. paper, like they seem like quite uh, traditional narratives you've seen before, but then I think he's just like a weird guy, you know, <laughs> and, like yeah. he comes out in his movies.
2: Yeah, um, I think the score is sort of like a great advert for the movie. And if you were wondering whether to see it or not, I think a good judge of whether you'd enjoy it would be to like go on to YouTube or something and search the Phantom Thread soundtrack and give a listen to it. It's extremely elegant and it skirts a little bit, a pastiche of um, these sort of prim, piano-driven uh, uh, period costume drama scores um, but it's at the same time very feels like very much its own beast it's very memorable um, very sort of like deft and neat and kind of unsettling and odd I think the, the trailer for the movie actually strikes at the tone of it extremely well for this reason, since it both it simultaneously seems like one of these period romances, but also like a film where you're expecting a severed head to turn up at some point or something <laughs> like that. You know, like um, well,
0: I feel like you could, you know, make a version of this film where Daniel Lewis is a vampire.
2: Yeah, exactly. It yeah, some, that something much. like something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's that line in the trailer where he's like, uh, "You can sew almost anything into the lining of a coat." <laughs> and it's like what the fuck is this guy gonna do in the lining of a coat in this film? It's gonna be some fucked up shit. So I feel like there's this kind of that element is always lingering lingering in the background. Yeah. Um and yeah, I I think like yeah, it's a lot of fun, I think. I think it's it's very good. It's fun fun film to watch. Fun that's that's not just a stupid thing. It? <laughs> it's a fun film to watch.
0: Yeah. Though I tell you what, I was really fascinated by the character of Steph Alma's sister, and was oh, Alma's, Alma's sisters, not Alma's of... sister
2: Steph, was probably my favorite character in the yeah. film, and it's really disappointing uh, that there wasn't
0: more of her. It makes me question if whoever Portmanson has like seen any film before, because he has like no storytelling instincts based on his decision to cut down Steph's storyline, yeah, which I assume like was
2: huge. Well, he's a you know he's obviously a great director in many ways, but we have to chalk this one up as one of his greatest blunders. The yeah. the lack of Steph, I mean,
0: this is like when Spielberg in nineteen forty one. When PTA cut Steph. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: But I uh, think the actress is going places. I
2: think that actress, the actress who plays Steph in that film, she really lights up the screen. I mean, I like Vicky Krebs, but Sarah Lamesh, the actress who plays Steph, Alma's oh, you sister. you looked up her name? Yeah, I, I, well, I had to, obviously. As soon as the, the I was studying in the credits, I was like, who who was that Steph character? Because she's, she's going to be the one to watch.
0: Yeah. Um... <laughs> <coughs> i think about fandom fred it's like it's like a really good british film (laughs) uh but made by like the most californian director and every time one of these british movies comes out i'm always like oh god but like i feel this is like the best version of one yeah like it's a bit weird a bit kinky it's all what's not being said but made by like an actual pro you know it's not just a a bunch of dames whispering in rooms and talking about the king or whatever the fuck it you know it's a yeah, like yeah, genuinely yeah. like interesting film
2: it's a bit like that guy who's the guy who directed uh barbarian sound studio and um uh, peter strickland peter strickland yeah i feel yeah. like it's a bit like that very sort of like offbeat and has this sort of gothic uh thing to it so i mean it, i think it, it does sort of um speak to how utterly shallow the british film establishment is that they you know love crap like the darkest hour and you have this like you know, there's your there's your fucking costume drama. Yeah, so exactly. That's like a proper one. Why don't you lift that one up? <laughs> Not this like jingoistic garbage.
0: Fuck Joe, right. <laughs> Fuck him in his stupid head. My favourite
2: film star's Bridget Bargo. She's the queen but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Now for another deep uh film that we'll try to sound intelligent about. comedy of the year Lovel- loveless Vigintsev, loveless loveless starring adam
0: sandler and <laughs> kevin klein the latest netflix release The latest Netflix. Release. david spade <laughs> chris rock <laughs> rob schneider loveless
2: um yes yeah, so loveless this is uh directed by andres Vigintsev. it's his follow-up to uh, his acclaimed film leviathan which he made a couple years ago in that 2014 that came out yeah, i believe so um, and uh, it is another bleak Russian epic uh, drama. It follows a uh, sort of marriage that is in the process of falling apart between a woman called Zhenya who owns a beauty salon, and a guy called Boris, who's just some sort of uh, office business drone, corp. business corp office drone. Their son, uh, Aloysha goes missing at the beginning as they're trying to figure out the, uh, uh, who will have custody of him in their breakup. And the movie follows the, the um, search for their son and also their, their sort of lives in the fallout of that. They each have their own partner um, and the, their sort of hollow, awful um, lives <laughs> and follow him <laughs> around being miserable and looking like shit and being horrible to each other. you got to see it. you got to see it. It's the film of the year. Um, so this is one of the best movies that we saw at the London Film Festival. Uh, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. But also one of the most harrowing, I would say.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not, a, um, not a barrel of laughs. It's quite funny because Zvyagintsev, well I think, like, he sounds like a parody of what I imagine a Russian director would be like. like I make three hour films about <laughs> miserable people and <playing laughs> horrible shit happens. And uh, I thought Leviathan was brilliant. And I've like sort of been meaning to catch up in his filmography, but I'm like never in the mood for one. But yeah. I feel like when he's in the cinema, I should definitely go and seek it out because, you know. You'll once you buy that five minutes in you're like enthralled and he's got an incredibly it's very gripping yeah his style which just seems to be like slow pans for some reason is the most tense thing in the world and uh yeah just like technically it's an incredibly assured piece of filmmaking and uh there's something very daring about making a film where the two leads basically any sympathy you have for them will be destroyed within the first ten minutes they're such horrible people they have like Loveless, as you were saying, is an incredibly apt title. Yeah. and they just see an equally
2: th- apt title would have been "cunts."
0: <laughs> cunts, as it's released in some territories. <laughs> um, like they just see their son as this nuisance, and neither of them want custody of them. They've both already, you know, planning their next lives with their new families, and he's just, you know, this annoying bit of admin they have to deal with. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a moment like in the first twenty minutes of uh, the movie, which will like is kind of like break your heart. And I'll stay with you long after you've forgotten your own children's name. Long (laughs) after your own children have abandoned you. I was reading a lot of reviews about it and uh, people saying it was similar to Leviathan in that it's this very intense domestic drama which is making wider points around uh, Russia and Russian society. And there's definitely uh, a lot of uh, critiquing how the state kind of fails people and when he goes missing the police are very upfront saying so we know the resources to find him and they have to go to this sort of volunteer outreach program uh but i think all that stuff you know you don't have to be well versed in the modern state of russia to enjoy the film or well, join might be the wrong word but like yeah. you know get something out of the movie but it's definitely a critique of just a general kind of modern malaise a sort of kind of post thatcher Capitalists. Well, it's very um, like, yeah,
2: it's very like the, 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 this like bleak, um, laked capitalism in which, um, everyone is out for themselves and no one is going to look after you. And, you know, it's like, in, I mean, in Leviathan, that's like about one man struggling with the state and, and being crushed by it. And like the title of the movie partly refers to the state um and it's more it seems like more of an explicit critique of specific like state institutions and uh the the corruption and you know what they do to people whereas this movie is less about that and more about like um the society that is created by the economic system that they that he lives in yeah. so i didn't really get why i mean this is, might might just be my ignorance of russia but like I didn't really understand why so many reviews focused on Putin's Russia as the focus of this, where I felt like you could transplant this story to any number of places. I mean, Austerity Britain would, you could make the same kind of a movie, right? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, this this world of, uh, you know, people who can't quite connect with each other. They're very, like, isolated um, and the relationships are quite, you know, transactional and, like, there's no support. There's no, like, social support for things. There's no sense of community uh, and it's all been kind of, um, you know, everyone's very atomized and stuff. And so, yeah, I felt like the, the the social critique of it was um, more more broad than that. Uh, I thought, like, the thing that, that was so striking about it for me was the way in which, even though the characters are incredibly unsympathetic because they're absolutely horrible, it feels very clear that the uh, assault that the movie is making is on society at large, not on individual people. Like, it's not, like, about two people who are horrible. It's not like, why aren't yeah. they better parents? It's like, this is what the world that they live in has done to them. And there's a lot of, there's not a lot of like compassion within the film, but I think the movie has a lot of compassion for its characters. And there's something about that, that sort of pacing like glacier like camera movements that is so tense <laughs> and uh, leaves you, you sort of always hanging on the edge of your seat, studying every frame, expecting some like shits to happen at any, at any moment. But it, you it has this kind of like real close observance of these people's lives that creates a lot of empathy so it's not like they're sympathetic characters and that you're not like you know you don't don't like them as people but i feel like you feel a lot of empathy for them because it's like you know it's the sort of study of um how tough it is to get by in this world yeah and and um so I i think that's what like part of the movie's big success um compared with maybe something like um killing of a sacred deer which has a similar kind of prowling like uh, anthropological almost sort of view of human life but in that movie it's more like look at these fucking weird people you <laughs> know like they're a bunch of morons um and uh, whereas this film feels like much more humanist
0: the spine in the movie is this hunt for the kid and it's like kind of like a procedural i guess like very vaguely but it's almost it's more like a diagnosis, as you were saying. And I think like it's a a bit tougher, well, a lot tougher than Leviathan, which had a lot of black comedy in it. But there is like a bit of that in like, you know, it's so horrible, it's absurd. And there's a sort of telling passage where they go and um, see the mother's the mother's mum and she's absolutely awful. She, she
2: is like the comic relief character almost. <laughs> yeah, like, but that's she's that, terrible. Yeah, but she's horrible.
0: And it's a bit like, you know, uh, it explains a lot about this character, that like that was her upbringing. And like every generation has like been fucked over by the past and yeah. their it doesn't really justify their actions but they've obviously like both found partners that they feel like they can be happy with and it's like their previous life was just a massive mistake and yeah, yeah, their yeah. child is emblematic of that and it's like, Oh uh, you know, I wish I hadn't done this, I wish I'd met these people, you know. I we think, like, it,
2: it does. It shares something with *Aviathan* in that that movie, there was also some entertainment value gleaned from just, like, the brutalness with the way that people, like, treat each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's almost in melodramatic fashion. And, like, the venom uh, with which the two main characters in this, like, attack each other is so severe that it's, you know, almost fun to watch because they're unbelievably horrendous to each other.
0: Yeah. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, like, I think in another movie the kid disappearing would bring them together. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it has, exactly, but yeah, it has but the opposite. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, the, nothing, it doesn't change anything really about their relationship. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the performances are amazing by all these actors who uh, I am too ignorant about Russian cinema to know. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, because they're so unsympathetic, but the performances are so vulnerable and you really, you know, you really get a sense of them. It's very uh, novelistic, I feel. I think that's the sort of, of thing where you feel like this has been a meticulously researched and workshopped thing. And you know, every frame is in its right place. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like yeah, yeah. In the hands of this master. And yeah. yeah. It's, it's
2: very reassuring to watch a movie like this where you feel like it's so perfectly crafted. I mean, like Phantom Thread is a similar thing in a way where you, 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 you're willing to give the director a ton of room because you just feel like they know what they're doing and it's, you know, absolutely. It's consummate, consummate craftsmanship. go go check it out Um, yeah definitely don't don't watch it it alone
0: don't watch it alone and definitely go see in the cinema because it's like a beautifully shot film oh yeah it's it's very very cinematic and I feel like uh, this is like I don't know how to sell it but like I feel like you know it's not a movie you'll catch on DVD like you'll never be in the mood to watch it you should just go and see it and just immerse yourself in it and you'll thank me later because it's you know it's worth it it's worth it
3: Time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and tell her for a friend so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough now. Back to film chat.
2: Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Film Chat, episode 151.
0: Thank you. Join us next week. We'll be discussing The Shape of Water. And want to go see Black Panther? I hear it's amazing. You bet
2: I do, man. I'm going to be there on Tuesday, the day it comes out.
0: Have you booked tickets, though? I hear preview tickets are, like, records. Maybe they're all booked out for a week. You know? Shit.
2: All right. Better books and tickets to to Black Panther. And then we... Well, I want to be standing out by... The reason I was so angry with that Irish Independent guy is that I wanted ours to be the only bad review <laughs> of it so he could be a real, like, talking point online.
0: I think it's racist to give it a good review.
2: Well, because it's, like... Uh, you know, that's patronising. It's patronising. Exactly. Yeah, it's like how it was racist for the Grammys not to nominate Ed Sheeran. Yeah, because because uh, <laughs> they were worried that he'd win. Exactly. <laughs> and it, and it would be like a you know scandal because all these other black artists would lose out, so they didn't even nominate him.
0: Also, oh, he? he's he Yeah, in but the you shape know, of you? my god,
2: I don't think it was that bad. To be honest with you, I really think that song is fine.
0: I feel like he sings about like women like he's never had sex before. <laughs> <laughs> like you just watched a lot of porn I think
2: I'm in love with your body is a weird lyric I'm in love with your body yeah it's a, very, it's a weird lyric he's a creepy dude um I would like to so this is the sort of thing that podcasters tend to say at the end of every episode but we don't yeah. don't normally say it so I want to say thanks Every everyone listens and writes in as you know great treat for us both um I feel like I don't know I haven't checked the numbers I feel like there's been a slight uptick in uh film chat attention do you the think the
0: biggest podcast in the world at the moment
2: I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's always really cool when people get in touch with us, so I want to thank everyone for doing that. We're not always the most prompt responders either to to messages, but that is purely down to us being useless uh, jerk offs. So uh, but it is it is really cool and if you think, you know, you know people who would enjoy listening to Danny and I give opinions about films, films? which is what we do. There's just the premise of the That's the, the show. premise of the podcast. Then do recommend this to them. And you can always leave us a review on iTunes as well. I understand I hear from all the podcast heads that that, that helps your podcast. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is just like, uh, I sort of feel okay. vaguely uh, nervous, I guess, about uh, dancing around all the sort of me too stuff. Because like, um it feels like it would be ridiculous for us not to talk about not that our view on this is you know has any relevance like wider relevance or whatever but it's just like you can't not talk about it but also you have to not say garbage about it um yeah. and uh you know we sort of natted on for about 20 minutes of like of sort of a- attempted woke ramblings but i would love anybody to let us know like what you think of that like about about this issue or you know uh what what, how it should be like approached and tackled um because there's there's something that is awkward about these you know the the two of us who uh spent most of the first 100 episodes of this podcast making like (laughs) woody allen jokes um to to now be sort of like resting with it and attempting to do so in in a sort of mature nuanced way
0: yes help us
2: help help please yeah Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Anyway, so see. We'll see you next time for, uh, you know, blockbusters and stuff.
0: Oh, thank God.
2: Thank God. Phew. Oh, oh, that was fucking tough. This one's been fucking tough, man. Oh. It's too, there's too, much, to too much intelligence required for this one. I need some dumb shit.
0: <laughs> Something more my level.
2: Just like a guy, a superhero fucking lamping someone in the face, you know. That's what I need right That's now. That's what I need right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. Let's do it.
3: Six Academy Award nominations for what is basically the cinematic equivalent of watching paint dry. Oh my god, what did I just sit through? Okay, listen, the acting isn't bad. It's stilted. It's awkward. There's a lot of pauses. This is the slowest movie ever. Listen, I like a good, slow, character-building movie. The Post? You just saw me talk about The Post. Loved The Post. And it's pretty slow, but it's important, you know, it's the events leading up to Watergate, it makes you care, this movie is nothing, it doesn't need to exist, it is a nothing film, it is about a sociopath falling in love with some chick who has like, oh my god, fuck this movie, Yeah, really but she knows who he is, because he's very famous, and has a lot of money, and uh, you know, Somebody I mean, needs to remind that motherfucker that if it wasn't for his money and his fame, you would get nothing. No one would put up with your shit. Trust me. There's all kinds of movies and shows with, you know, protagonists that maybe aren't the nicest people. Ash versus The Living Dead. I just watched the two seasons of it. Yeah, Ash is a misogynistic dickhead who's a little bit racist and a little bit homophobic, but he has likable qualities and the people around him make him better. Even Doctor Who is a fucking war criminal! Doctor Who is a goddamn war criminal! He has killed billions! Billions! And I still like him more than these two little fucks. I want my... I didn't even pay for the movie, and I want my fucking money back.